All right, and welcome. It's Friday, so it's the Dicer Screaming coming at you one more time this week. Oh, yeah, those dice are really screaming tonight. Yeah, uh, hey, it's uh, Friday, so it's Freeform Friday. we got some topic for you. And, of course, we're here giving it to you like... Oh, well, just like... Well, we are the cross-eyed umber hulk of gaming podcasts. Sometimes we even confuse ourselves. Yep, sometimes we even wander around and attack <laughs> the nearest creature for two to three rounds or just wander away. <laughs> Inexplicably, yeah. At random. <laughs> so, yeah, that's us, the cross-eyed Umber Hulk of podcast gaming. <laughs> or gaming podcasts, even. Yeah, see, it's working right now. All right, so, uh, yeah, we had some call-ins this week, so uh, we're not going to oh, dwaddle. Yeah. We heard from Jason and Joe giving us what for, so we're going to give it right back to you with some thoughts on Jason and Critical Role. So take it away, Jason. Hey, guys, driving to work in the rain, so I apologize about the background noise. Um, Critical Role you, you know I don't hate them by any means I honestly have never watched Critical Role I just don't have time to. I don't have time for hardly any TV I don't watch actual plays on YouTube And I'm not really that interested In listening to them on podcasts To be honest with you um, More power to them I'm glad they're successful That's awesome I'm glad people like them And I'm not putting any of that stuff down I just honestly just don't have time for it it's, I don't, it's not that I don't have time for it because it's bad. It's I don't have time for it because I really just don't have that many hours in the day. But, yeah, man, I don't, I don't get what the purpose of hating on any of this stuff. The only possible negative I see, and it's not really even a negative because it's just an expectation thing, right? So if that's somebody's introduction and they come to the game, you know, local game. Whoops, coming up to a minute. Hold on. So if, you know, somebody finds D&D or finds role-playing through Critical Role or one of these things, and then listen, you know, goes YouTube or the Twitch or, I guess I should be saying the YouTube, huh? The YouTube or the Twitch. Anyway, but, but you know, when they finally get to a, re- to a game with real people, whether it's online or in person, you know, and those people aren't doing funny voices, aren't doing this, that kind of stuff, you, you know, hopefully it doesn't set a wrong place for expectations. And maybe it doesn't. Maybe they put disclaimers up in the front of the episodes. I don't know, because like I said, I've never seen it. But I guess that was is the only possible negative, is if they're up there and, you know, people come to, and are expecting something totally different, right? But I, I don't know that that's that big of a negative, because I, I would think that expectation would get set pretty quick as soon as you meet a group. So, yeah, man, more power to them. I'm glad they're successful, and it's bringing people to the hobby, which is always a good thing. So thank you, guys. Keep up the great work. All right, thank you, Jason. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that pretty much mirrors my sentiments too. Uh, I I know that it is a slight deficit that people might have unrealistic expectations, but it's such a small deficit, you know. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan out there. Not exactly, you know, what, what they call a critter. But uh, I I gotta say, when you weigh it against the popularity that they've created and the amount of draw for getting new people into the hobby uh, yeah it's a very it's such a small sin so easily forgiven you know yeah this is but a venal sin and the to be honest uh mercer does make mention that um he's not the only uh cat out there that does voices or your dm may do something differently they do come out with some um 
a boilerplate standard measures about, you know, that this is kind of the way we play, but it doesn't mean that that's everything that uh, should you should be playing in this way, or it's the only way to play, or it's everything that could ever come out of a role-playing game. And so I think a lot of the hate that they get, I don't understand. I think sometimes it might even be petty jealousy. But at the same time, I think that setting a standard like that is not such a bad thing. If, if he's the measure. Yeah, I mean, and if people are trying to aim up towards doing stuff like that, I 100% you know, support that. Like, get out there, uh, add a little zing, add a little something extra. Uh, perfect example, uh, Howard is the DM on the Big Bang Theory, where he based most of his character or NPC voices on impressions from Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, cute. Uh, but <laughs> not necessary to go that way. I mean, you know, do you really want your talking broadsword to be Jack Nicholson? No. No, I really don't. Here's Johnny. Oh. How about Jack Palance? Oh, man. All right, look, if I wanted to terrify my, my enemies into submission without actually having to stab them, go ahead. Pick it up. <laughs> Just, oh, man. No, I'm I, not asking. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that would uh, freeze the blood of even the hardened adventurer. Palance. Uh, yeah, I definitely. Uh, <laughs> Although the evil assistant to the great sorcerer, based on Peter Laurie, I've totally done that. Why would you do that, Mister Spade? You would make my employer very, very angry. You wouldn't like him when he's angry. Him and Vincent Price and Boris Karloff were in a movie about uh, magic users. He was an alchemist. Hmm. How perfect is that? Yeah. Peter Lorre as the alchemist. No, I I could... I'm probably going to have to look that one up and watch it. Yeah, but, uh, you know, if the worst thing came out of Critical Role was that a lot of people got interested... And they developed their own style based on what uh, Mercer does. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, no I could live in a world like that. That's, that's yeah. a pretty easy one for me. No harm, no foul. Uh, you know, this one, not even going <laughs> to... Any routine trip to the temple will will take care of that sin. Yeah. This one's not going to take, like, a uh, atonement spell. All right. Well, we had some other call-ins, including Ooh, yeah. one from Jason and Joe. So we're going to get right to those. We'll turn it back over to them and uh, be right back after this. What's up, boys? We talking experience points, huh? All right. Well, yeah. So when I first started running, I would do experience points to level up. And that's what I did for a while. But honestly, for the past three or four years, I've been doing the milestone thing and just kind of leveling them whenever... Whenever I felt that they were ready, like they just got their 11th level, but they were 10th level for a long time. So it was kind of due. But I've, I've told myself the next campaign I run, I'm going to go back to experience points, using actual points, get down to the nitty gritty again, back to the roots. And yeah, I'll probably start that way. But honestly, I bet I bet I'll end up just going back to milestone. It's just less work. Don't tell anybody, though. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Anyway, boys, that's enough for me. Peace out. Hey, guys. Jason here, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Sorry about the road noise. On the way to work in the morning, finished listening to your Experience Point podcast. Great podcast. Um, yeah, you know, I remember back in the day, you know, you see the experience tables, a million experience points, and 
500,000 experience points. And yeah, always wondering, you know, how'd you get that high? You know, we never got that high, but we made high level characters, but we never actually legitimately progressed from zero to a million, a million experience points. Um, I like nowadays, I pretty much only play online. So I kind of like milestone systems or just, you know, every two or three sessions, you go up in level, something like that, just because it works. Shadow the Demon Lord is set up where you play. It's like 11 game campaign. So you level up every session that works really well. But, you know, I, even back in the day, I remember stalking the night fantastic, which is later known as Bureau 13. I want to say the highest experience points on there were like for saving non-combatants, things like that. To be honest, I always thought back, you know, if you have a regular group, I always liked the basic role-playing system, where as you use a skill, it goes up, or you have a chance for it going up, or where you, like, travel, or where you train, or Bushido. I'm getting ready to run a Bushido game, and um, we're going to do a first level. I was going to do a higher level, and I started trying to increase, you know, level up characters, make fourth level characters or something. It just breaks your brain trying to do it, because the way the XP and the skills and all work, more of the skills, the way they increase and all. So if you don't actually do it naturally to try to just create a high-level character in Bushido is, you know, it's kind of mind-numbing. You have to make a, cal- a yearly calendar and, and, tr- and figure out how long they trained and how many points they got and all that. So, yeah, these days it's all milestones. It's all, yep, you play two sessions, you went up a level. <laughs> but I only play online, so it's what it is. Anyhow, great episode. Look forward to your next one. Take care. Oh, wow. Thanks a lot, guys. That's a lot of information. But, uh, you know, it's strange that uh, a lot of people seem to like the milestones that listen to us. So, you know, I was a little trepid about the experience points saying uh, maybe we should, you know, not touch on that one because it seems to be kind of onerous or some people uh, bowed off the handle and say, oh, heresy, you know, you have to account for every single experience point. But it's nice to see the milestone has such, it resonated with it, a lot of people. It's really crept into the the order of things these days uh you know it's a lot more <laughs> wow you know just it, it's like being in a you know more uh advanced era uh you know back in the the old dark ages of gaming to say otherwise was you know worth burning at the stake and the tantamount to uh, hers yeah yeah, yeah uh, and i admit i'm still terribly fond of them myself uh when I do first edition games that are intended to show people what the game was like circa 1977, you know, when they're going for that authenticity vibe, then yes, I absolutely do. And sometimes just to show them what it was like to have the really rough-edged campaign, uh, you know, I actually drag back the, the individual XPs for individual accomplishments, uh, you know, the who killed what ratio, uh, and all of that. I, I bring it all back. Uh, but I'm also okay with the fact that we've let some of that fall by the wayside. You know, we found easier, faster, fairer, uh, less divisive ways to do this. And I'm not upset about it. I'm in a very happy place these days. Don't worry, Joe. Your secret's safe with us. We won't tell anybody. However, we do have to mention... Awesome, guys, uh, hearing about uh, Stalking the Night Fantastic and Bureau 13. Yeah. Oh, man, there were some flashbacks. Yeah, I think I was one of the five people that actually bought the copy out of Dragon Magazine when it was uh, Bureau 13. It was just a little pamphlet. I sent away for it. It was like 10 bucks. Yeah, I and didn't, but... We played uh, it. 
And uh, everybody was like, wow, we kind of really like this. And I was like, yeah, it's a little different than Call of Cthulhu. It's not, you know, it's one of those games... Not so much existential end-of-the-universe horror all the time. Because, look, and I'm not speaking ill of our beloved Call of Cthulhu. Absolutely not. But I am saying that it's a little much for every session, okay? Yeah. that, That palpable sense of, you know, the universe is collapsing inward on you and terrible things are about to happen, doom, gloom. No, Bureau 13 had a playfulness uh, reminiscent uh, before the era of uh, Men in Black and uh, Warehouse 13. And shows like those, before that era, it already had that whimsical sense of, you know, you're the buttoned-down agents trying to deal with a world in which there are some things that are difficult to explain. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I remember uh, getting Malibu Comics... uh, Men in Black back when it came out, and uh, yeah, I know I had that run. Yeah, the whole thing. I I believe I put those up on eBay back when uh, Men in Black Three came out. Oh yeah, which yeah I cleaned up. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, those are some good memories. But uh, you know, just a really good uh, system uh, for the XP, which you mentioned is saving people, gave you more XPs than defeating some of the monsters. So. Yeah. And that was an encouragement. You know, that's where I think there's a certain part of the experience point system. They were trying to encourage people to do something, rewarding them in game. And of course, there's many ways you can do that. I mean, you can give people uh, tokens, you can give them uh, boons, and you can give them little uh, in game rewards. And, and besides just having the gratitude of other players, or NPCs in the game. Oh, yeah, developing a good reputation and some clout uh, does not hurt. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, and it discourages moments like, I hereby declare this a black op. We're killing all the witnesses. But on the other uh, swing of the pendulum, I don't think we should do away with experience points. Absolutely. I think oh, that God, it no. should be, uh, I think it should always be in the system and it should be an option. I think that uh, we talked about Pathfinder having different uh, options of fast, medium, and uh, slow progression is a good you know, clutch. That, yeah, and I am an options guy. I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, more options you have. And also having the option of milestones and uh, campaign goals being the uh, hallmark of when to level up. Or what, where, they're like uh, Jason said, you know, just two or three sessions, you're up there. Yeah, that this all works. And I think that it works well enough that nobody really needs to know what happens behind the screen other than the Game Master rewards. Yeah, don't pick apart the ingredients of the soup. Right. So just... Uh, Sometimes just let the magic happen. Kick back, suspend your disbelief. It's like going into a movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, prepare to be wowed. Don't go in there going, I think I saw a sneaker on, on one of the guys, uh, you know, and it's supposed to be ancient Rome, so this is ruined for me. Wow, if you were looking that hard at the feet of everybody in that crowd, I, I, I feel like you're missing the, the principal action. So, you know. Uh, but you know, enough of that. We we oh yeah, we hit the the call ins and yeah. Man, so, are we grateful for those? Thanks yeah, so much. thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Jason. Uh, and don't need to apologize about all the noise. It it's fine, man. It's fine. Uh, we can hear you just good. So uh, we appreciate you calling in. And of course, uh, we're going to turn two to do some little advertisement and pay the bills, and we'll be right back. So stick around. And welcome back. We're live. Oh, yeah. Yep, we're live. 
Just checking. <laughs> I am quivering with anticipation for this topic. Oh, it's yeah. Like somebody slapped the news. Yep, we got a good one lined up for you. Of course, it's a kind of funny one. It's called Game Balance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, as long as we're speaking of fiction. Yeah. Uh, we're going to dream big. Uh, you know, can I have a pony? Yeah, yeah, you can have a pony. Have, have two. Oh, oh and, and a bike. But for Game Balance, it generates ten times as much poop as you would normally expect mm. from a horse of that size. So, yeah, everything comes with a price tag. Yeah, everything has a drawback. <laughs> so, welcome to Game Balance, the Friday Freeform. Yeah, and all through games, all through editions, every game struggles with Game Balance. And it comes as no surprise to many gamers that it's been the ruin of many a good game or session when you decide to tinker around. And that's... Pretty much where it all starts is we all start with a game system when you first get it that just is pre as presented as you trust, you hope, more appropriately, <laughs> that it's been thoroughly playtested, vetted, and uh, run through its paces, redlined, made sure that it's you know fully capable of supporting all the craziness that's going to happen in this I, game. I, I'm going to say that uh, beta testing goes a lot farther these days than it did in the old days. Uh, because the old days, there weren't a lot of other games to base your research on. Okay? So, you know, you got six guys into a room together, and one of them DM'd, and five people played, and they, they gave it a few shots. Uh, they had a good time. And the having of a good time kind of lulled them into the false expectation that, like, this game will not be played by scurrilous butt crumbs who will screw with this system in ridiculous and unpredictable ways uh, and find every loophole we leave behind. They're much better about that in this era. Okay, uh, they go to great lengths. Really. Uh, what do you think the, the accidental in, you know, yeah, impact of this rules decision uh, will be? You know, how does this interact with these previous things? They put some thought into it, like a chess game. Played against the... Knights the, are totally OP, man. Just totally OP. Yeah. Broken. Broken. Broken piece. Won't play with them. I take them off the board. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and what's up with the queen? You know, moving in any direction. Uh, it's so OP. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, no game could survive the scrutiny of today's... Uh, culture of everything is terrible. Yeah, well, but more importantly, uh, we want to start with this disclaimer. If you house rule things, this is not a slam against you. What no. we're talking about here is game balance approached as a whole. Kind of a holistic approach if you want, but as a whole, the game systems are not balanced. Classes are not balanced. I'm here to tell you that they are not. Not perfectly, no. No. no, there's some give and take in that, and there's some considerations given, as we talked about in the previous episode, about experience points. There was kind of a nod that certain character classes with low hit points not didn't hit very well, advanced a little faster than the ones that were a little bit more robust, like fighters, and then, you know, you threw paladins and rangers in there. And then you got up to uh, <clears throat> the barbarian and the uh, cavalier, and uh, yeah, you got a lot of things in there that just did not make sense. 
Yeah. Uh, compared to the previous systems, and that's when you start to get into the point of ludicrous game as it is. And how do you... <laughs> mistakes were made, <laughs> and yeah, lessons were learned. I, absolutely, you can't. I'm not going to say that like the best of intentions with a right type of group and the right type of game master, these things probably wouldn't have come in. But when you put people on a table, and a lot of them come from diverse backgrounds, some of them war gamers who are very prone to taking every degree of the rule to its absolute maximum. Hey, it doesn't say I can't do this. Yeah, yeah. and in the absence of a ruling saying that they can't, they will. Uh, now, this doesn't mean that nerfing a few things or uh, fluffing a few things in your own campaign is a bad idea. And in oh, fact, we've, we've spoken in favor of like homebrew campaign and you know tweaking rules. Uh, it, it is the DM's prerogative to do these things. You, yeah, we you, used to, we started assigning percentile stats um, based on um, just a conversation I had with a guy at a convention. Uh, off the Cavalier system. If the Cavaliers can do it, why can't Magic users do it with their intelligence, clerics with their wisdom, and so on, so on, and so forth. And, you know, we often incorporate new things, but we often also looked at it with a little bit of a clutch option. Like, if this starts to get too crazy, we're going to just you know, nix this right right down. We're going to clip it right in the bud. Just Yeah, bump. if you're bucking for deity-level stats, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Well, again, you could only take it up to 18. But. Yeah. Now, if you were, for instance, in an Iron Man campaign of the old-fashioned uh, first edition type, uh, it was perfectly reasonable to employ something like this because you may have had some starting dice that were not very kind to you. Yeah. Uh, in the old days, everybody rolls in front of each other. We're sitting down at the table, and we're going to do this right here. Uh, you know, four die six. Uh, dump your worst number. Here's your six stats. Uh Place them where you please, you know, depending on the class you're aiming for. And then that's what you started with. Uh, and I'm still a big fan of that because I, I think a certain amount of Iron Man gaming, uh, you know, it, that uh, going into it and just accepting where the dice take you, uh, that random element is still fascinating to me. But that's an environment where you can still have game balance and make an adjustment. Right, but, you know, saying, like, us, even today, like, people say, well, 8th-level fighters should be able to compete with an 8th-level wizard. No. Spells being what they are, and even things that you can't account for in-game, like, well, if a cleric is very loyal to their deity and the precepts of their church, and they roll for divine intervention, and yes, it's a low one, if you allow such things, then... um you know, they can change the scope and outcome of a particular encounter, whether it's going really bad or they need some help. And that's always been there. But game balance, saying that, like, one character is equal to another, there's conditions and context that has to be taken into oh, consideration. The relationship between an equal-leveled fighter and mage is very different depending on how great a distance is between them at that moment. And how often the... Uh, or how much warning the wizard has before that fighter <laughs> comes barging through the door. Yeah, I mean, if you have offended your own party's fighter and he is five feet from you, it was probably not the hottest move you could have made that week. Mm -hmm. uh, however, <laughs> if the enemy fighter is down at the end of the hallway and has to run a hundred feet to get to you, he is toast in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. He uh, might just have enough raw hit points to survive to get up to do some telling blows, but... 
you know, that's again, that's the context that we're talking but, about. Now. But he will be fighter flambe by the time he mm-hmm. does. Oh. Yeah, a lot of scars to tell uh, the story of his encounter with the mage. Yeah, yeah, that is that is not going to go expertly for him if he gets out alive. Small miracle. And, you know, we're not, again, uh, going to uh, say that uh, the other part here is that rules lawyers are in the context of our entire conversation of game balance. That's an entirely different conversation, but it bears the mentioning that looking at the rules and as they are written versus as they are intended, the raw versus ray. All right, fair enough. Rules you know, as intended, rules as they are written. Have often uh, been the main mini campaign and caused a lot of good. Uh, well, I won't say good, but contentious debates at the table, and that's not what we're about. It's about game balance and the systems uh, as applied. It sometimes falls on you, the game master and the player uh, base, to sort out these things for yourselves and decide what is going to work for you and what is not. Yeah, don't don't be offended if a DM says, I'm not sure I'm entirely comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not a slam on the individual. Uh, it's a desire to keep a lid on things that will have one person hot-shotting. Uh, you know, much like avoiding the bruised feelings when they would, for instance, uh, nerf one class and beef up another in World of Warcraft. Oh, boy. Why don't you play your hunter anymore? I totally hate them. They nerfed deterrence. Deterrence was totally broken, dude. You could sit there in an arena and laugh at a fighter or warrior for, you know, a good five, ten seconds as they're burning through all their cooldowns and they can't even touch you. Nothing works. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, it was broken, you know. These things happen, and they, they happen in every system and every edition. Uh, you know, they, they've happened, uh, if you watch the ebb and flow of uh, various Warhammer armies, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one year, uh, an edition comes out, and this is the hottest group to play, and players flock to that, and they play the heck out of it, and they win, 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 and they just love it. And then a couple of years later, a new edition comes out, and <laughs> they have nerfed. What made that army so invincible and so potent? I've never played Necrons ever since then. Yeah, uh, these are just <laughs> facets of gaming life, and I, I think a lot of us have coped with it. Uh, but how to avoid it in your own campaign? I mean, let, let's talk about tweaking a rule, and what are what are the good warning signs, good uh, indicators that it, it's a smart call versus the... Uh, warning signs that it might actually be a bad call. I mean, okay. Um, if I can do that, I have to do what I do when I do historical stuff. Do what I do. And what I do is apply context. Um, in the old days, um, there was not a lot of hard and fast rules written for some of the more obscure situations you might find yourself in. For instance, um, you're playing a Three Musketeers type character, a, a swashbuckler, duelist type, and you want to jump up from the tape, on top of the table, swing from the chandeliers, and catapult yourself on top of the bar so you'll have a clear view of the entire room above the rest of the bustling crowd. How do you adjudicate that? Well, uh, you could say just a dexterity and roll and maybe, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, maybe even a saving throw to do certain things. Could be a good mechanic to fall on. 
But then when you start doing that and the player starts relying on that all the time, and then suddenly you as a game master have to say, well, that's taken a little too far. That's when you start to run into, well, the game master in the old days was the sole arbiter of those obscure moments. And that wasn't a sign that the system was broken. It was just a sign that players were being more inventive and creative than what the initial context and the whole of the game intended. Now, this um, is where penalties and bonuses start to kick in. I mean, if you're going with something as simple as a dexterity test, and you've got a, a roguish-type uh, swashbuckler with a high dex, uh, the odds of their failing are incredibly low, despite the ludicrous nature of the action. I mean, if, if they, the more they complicate things, like if it's a simple jump, uh, you know, like up three feet to get on top of the bar, hey, you know what, a base dex check is not that bad of an idea. Mm -hmm. So here's your warning call. You know, if you just base everything on that simple dex check, no matter how complicated the action is, they're going to expect that every time. Warn somebody right up front and say, okay, I adjudicate that this action is reasonably uh, simple. And so only a base dex check is required. Now, different story. They want to do the sensational act where they leap from the stairwell, grab a hold of the chandelier, swing and do a backflip and, you know, impressively land on that. Well, you know, we've got several ingredients Start throwing in penalty by the ingredient. Yeah, know. or, you uh, know, in a ca in a dungeon environment, they decide to jump up on an, an escarpment or a narrow staircase and do the same thing. And now you're in a different environment, in a different context, and so you're trying to have some uniformity of mechanics, and it's really hard. And where we're really going with this is not so much that the game is flawed, but these are circumstances where you are now starting to run into... Maybe this system isn't the one for this type of action. And, you know, whatever you do is not necessarily you're breaking the game or go, going into a undiscovered country, but you're making rulings from the seat of your pants. And you can't really plan or re realistically adjudicate for this. And that's where it starts to run less into game balance as it does just simple system mechanics. Game balance usually is pushed by magic, because, you know, it's freaking magic. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you want to see something that uh, puts game balance in jeopardy, magic is a big one. Making on-the-fly adjudications uh, regarding new spells or new applications of spells that were not predicted. Like, mm -hmm. You know, can I cast this on a cactus? What? I, it, does a cactus get a saving throw? I <laughs> Oh, yeah, and you weird know, stuff happens in the certain D &D. things like backstab. Okay, now the backstab ability is very, uh, it's an equalizer in combat for the rogue. It lets them get in a nice sneak attack and uh, do some extra damage. And, uh, you know, the thing is, is it overpowered? Well, when you start putting classes together, like if a rogue starts the game behind a wizard, hidden in stealth, they're going to have a significant advantage. First of all, Wizard usually doesn't have uh, good armor, and so, and they're surprised, so they can't really cast many spells. And the rogue gets a sneak attack, and half of their hit points are gone with just one hit. Or if not most, <clears throat> depending on what levels you're playing. But 
more to the point, when you have uh, a system like that, like, well, rogues are totally broken because, you know, they backstab and they can just rob somebody of their hit points. Well, yeah, but, you know, that's kind of what they do. And it's not always going to be in their favor. Uh, bearing in mind, of course, that one of the nerfs on this was the requiring that either A, they achieve a status as having flanked somebody successfully, mm -hmm. which means that the opponent cannot simply be all alone at the end of the hallway. Uh, you know, number two, movement. You know, they've got to get into that position. How far do they have to go? Yeah, do they reveal themselves by coming into plain sight? Yeah. Obviously, you can't hide in shadows in a round room totally lit by candles. Yeah, if it's an incredibly brightly lit room, once again, you start applying penalties. Uh, you know, especially if the bad guy knows you're there. You're like, oh, a party of four adventurers and only three of them have walked in the door. Where's that damn rogue? Because you know what's going to happen next. And wizards, not famous for their incredible stupidity. Uh well, yeah, rogues. At their most dangerous when you don't know where they are. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we, uh... Yellowbeards. We yellowbeards are at our most dangerous when we're dead. Oh. <laughs> don't know how anybody gets anything done going around dying all the time. They'll have to kill me before I mm. die. Indeed. <laughs> Words to live by. Um, but Wisdom. Yeah, you know, game balance usually comes uh, crashing down when you apply magic and also certain character class and combinations start racking up for instance if you have a barbarian fighter rogue and the combination abilities early in third edition was just there was no way to surprise them they were always well armed and uh, depending on their feet and uh, class uh, optimizations they could be a handful to handle in melee Oh, now, yeah. take him out of melee and put him in an area where there's a ranged combatant. Different story. But then sometimes the uh, reverse comes, uh, what is it, the Zen Master and Pathfinder on a broom of flying with a brilliant energy weapon, a bow, was flying around on a broom and just killed a Terrask in like three rounds. Good lord. And, you know, there's no way the Terrask can get to them. Ah. But yeah. again, this is a combination thing, not... An indication of that the game was broken, it just wasn't. It was a precise circumstance where the that available, was, yeah, contrived. you know, the available skills they had all came into play uh, to their fullest possible advantage. Uh, this is a thing where a DM, you may encounter this once, where a player totally pulls something like that off. Uh, and our advice on rebalancing things is. Looking at that character and its abilities, uh, I'm not saying nerf the player, uh, but you're going to have to find yourself making challenges that are custom fit. Not every single encounter, for instance, uh, if the party is relatively helpless against swarms, for instance. This doesn't mean that, like, oh, yeah, boy, next week's module, you know, since you killed that Tarask, how do you feel about 18 swarms? Now, that's DM grudgery. Mm -hmm. But holding that as a whole card, having one of those in the mix during a boss fight, uh, where all of a sudden the players find themselves with something that places them at a distinct disadvantage in which exhausts their time and energy dealing with that while they're trying to stave off a major boss, 
See, that's balancing it back out, bringing the level of challenge back up, not by ruthlessly exploiting their weaknesses, but by presenting with challenges that they're going to have to work to overcome. That It's not going to be a cakewalk. So, to answer the original question, where are your warning signs? When this sort of thing happens with every encounter on a specific class, and not just one that is contrived to do a certain, certain thing, like the Zen Archer Monk is a relatively rarefied uh, beast, especially in as so much as that, you know, you got to have a player who plays a monk and gets them to a certain level and has these exact items. And, you know, a lot of players say, well, I can just buy a broom of flying. It's only a 3,500 gold piece item. Yeah, okay, so it's commonly available at most major cities, but at the same time, no one says that you automatically get it. But that's a small roadblock you can apply. What we're talking about here is that character classes that right out of the gate have very powerful advantages, like the 3.5 Warlock. Wow, just completely insane. They even put a disclaimer, like, this is only for those DMs that feel that this is an appropriate character for them and they're willing to deal with these circumstances because every round, just say it again, Warlock, I cast Eldritch Blast. Yeah! Elders Blast, every round. Elders Blast, every round. It just gets funnier every time I see it. <laughs> and a lot of people thought it was very broken. And was it? Yes, it was. Yeah. It was really broken. Now, they've kept the Eldritch Blast, but they've toned down the progression and how much damage it does and made it pretty much consummate to the fact the same way that a, a specialized bowmaster of various classes, ranger or fighter um, or monk, could be doing the same thing every round with arrows. Yeah, no but there's game. a limit on arrows. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, that's, again, with Quivers of Alona, um, that's not that big of a thing that can uh, is going to stay that way forever. Yeah, not a huge hurdle. It can be overcome. Uh, now, it, there has never been a game that was so perfectly engineered that I think it killed all the loopholes. Uh, there's always something. Mm -hmm. So, game balance, I mean, it is tough. It is incredibly challenging. It's one of those moments where the DM is walking a tightrope all the time. Uh, and it comes with the turf. It's just like the it's the price of entry. This is your cover charge. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things you've got to go through to get into where the tequila is flowing. Now, if you have a player with an ability like... I love that I just turned gaming into an alcoholic binge. You know, just... Yeah. You know, they should get medals out for that. <laughs> or at least a t-shirt. <laughs> uh, I turned gaming into an allegory about alcoholism. Yeah. You won. Hey, um, you know, what do you do when you find that, as written, a rule, a feat, or a character ability is completely broken? Well, this is where you put your DM hat on and say, you know, I'm, we're going to change this. It's an, Especially your big warning sign is when the other players feel that it's a detriment to their enjoyment. And sometimes players will just like, yeah, that's just uh, so-and-so, that's how they play their characters. They always, des always design a red-lined character that just takes it to the limit. And sometimes it can be detrimental to other people's fun, and that's where a Game Master has to come in and say, well, you know, this ability is just way too powerful. Yeah, you've really got two options at that point. Either you work with the other players to create a team of extremely redlined characters, so that everybody is packing a lot of punch. Now, you can do that. 
and then follow through as a DM by throwing challenges at them that represent that level of preparedness. Mm-hmm. And they're running, you know, if you've got a team of four characters who are just like out of the gate, they are ready to kick butt. You can throw a lot at them, and it certainly takes the gloves off the DM. So that's one way. But the other way is the way you mentioned, which I, I got to say, you know, it's the easier choice just to just nerf it. And it's it's socially hard to do because you have to shut somebody down and say, dude, do not do this to me every time, man. I, you know, this is not the Steve show. You cannot have Super Steve uh, six campaigns in a row. I, I just can't do this, man. I, yeah, you all you play is a weapon master with the scythe, and you're doing times eight damage. You doubled the crit range of your scythe. Okay, scythe guy, it's time to take it down a couple notches and just, no. Yeah. The, just say uh, there's an arbitrary limit of times four to critical hit damage and just leave it at that. Yeah, I'm capping this right here, right now, coming out of the gate. And some players, and rightfully so, can say, well... You're just being unfair. Well, okay, I'm just going to say it. Yes, you are. But that is part of the responsibility you carry with you is sometimes to help other players enjoy the game. You have to diminish one who has overstepped a certain boundary. And sometimes it's an unspoken one. Yeah, this is a genuine game balance issue because you will run into these situations where you have one OP in the middle of you know, a, a cluster of people who are at a regular pace. Now, this means that as you're scaling up challenges to account for the fact that there's somebody OP, you wind up uh, placing the rest of these players in encounters that are over their head. And that is not fair to them. uh, Yeah, they're reduced to bystanders. We're level two and we're fighting like an entire pack of ogres uh, or ghouls. You know, everybody's paralyzed. All of us died except Super Steve. Yeah, just because he's an elf. Uh, that scenario is exactly the thing you're avoiding. And that moment of unfairness to one player means bringing the magic back for the rest of the table. And that is such a hard call to make. It's so unpleasant. I, I've never enjoyed that moment. Uh, but it is what it is. It, it's hard to introduce somebody to the idea of other people's fun. You know, if that's not a concern for them, if it's not a thing that they've really embraced, it's very hard to, to piece it together for another person that, you know, you realize this is turning the party into a vehicle for one character. Uh, and that's not really okay. You know, we're, if it was just you and me playing, just two people... It would be a totally different story. You would need the extra oomph, and I could feel free to throw stuff at you that was level-appropriate and challenge-appropriate, but I can't do that with a mix of people. Uh, That is at least (laughs) as close as I've managed to explain it to people and not come away seeming like I'm just being a hard-ass about it. It's a little hard to articulate because it's it's based on a whole lot of situations. Um, My best allegory I have, rather than alcoholism, is to recommend superhero canes. And more appropriately, Marvel Comics, and I'll go to Marvel Superheroes for this, they had a very good way of showing you how laughable game balance was. Okay, so let's take a team of superheroes, the Fantastic Four. Now, you have Reed Richards, who is incredibly smart, 
and very inventive. He's a genius. Also and, notoriously flexible. Yes, very flexible. Thank you. And he isn't that much a super combatant as he is a controller. He can control things. And he's kind of a, almost a jack-of-all-trades. He can get into the mix. You know, he can go up a little bit. He can uh, stop people from moving around. And then you have the Human Torch, uh, you know, who's flying around on fire, you know, burning things up. And then you have uh, Sue Richards, the Invisible Woman, generating force fields and turning invisible. Again, another controller. But then you have the Thing. Now, the Thing does not fly. Okay. Um, <laughs> the Human Torch flies. He can get to places that the three other characters can't. Although, you know, with a good rubber band shot. Uh... <laughs> yeah, and that, that did happen. Pew! Pow! <laughs> Dr. Fantastic stretches himself out between two lampposts, and the thing runs at him and bounces and hurdles himself upwards. Yes. But, again, that's working together as a team. Yeah. But the uh, thing is impervious to damage. I mean, it takes a tremendous amount even to get him to blink. And he's so strong that none of the other characters can compete with him. So how do you devise a challenge for all four of these characters to be to feel like they contributed something, especially like, okay, what's the invisible woman going to do? Well, just turn invisible, Sue. Just, yeah, just stay out of combat. <laughs> well, she can create force fields and protect other characters and do certain things. Yeah, the, the more fragile members of the trio, uh, you know, of people who can be hurt, uh, can you certainly use that force field action on a, on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. The thing, on the other hand, you don't even have to worry about it. You just yeah, you leave him out of the force field. So what you do is that combat-heavy character, you throw combat-heavy circumstances at him where the other players have to support them because they're the ones that are going to do that. But they're also having to work, not just to support him, but also contribute. Now, in other circumstances, when you need to talk to people, well, obviously, Dr. Fantastic and Sue Richards are going to be the Dr. ones... Dr. Impossible. Yes. <laughs> well, okay. But, yes, uh, I know that the Archer reference is going to inevitably creep in. Venture here. Brothers, actually, yeah, for that one. Venture. Oh, yeah, that's right. Voiced by Stephen Colbert. Mm -hmm. It's just awesomest. <laughs> but, yes, by using that allegory, like, you can take, like, okay, you have... The, the Avengers, you have Iron Man, Thor, the Hulk, and then you have Hawkeye. What do you do, Hawkeye? I shoot things with a bow. Okay. Well, uh, they will let anybody in the, the in, in, in the Avengers, man. It, like, Sir, I like the way you tetherball. Have you considered signing on and getting a fancy uniform? <laughs> but his ability to read combat and situations as they came up gave other players... You know, he was kind of a support character. Kind of like a bard in a way. But also... There's so much more, like, with the Black Widow. Like, okay, what's she going to do versus Ultron? Talk to him? Oh, yeah, as a matter of fact, yeah, that's, that's exactly... going to get in his head, you know. Just, she did. Yeah, that... Sneaky. Oh. So, no, having a brilliant character that is not, like, a heavy hitter with magnificent superpowers is not the worst scenario. In but fact, that, that's I'm how they approach the game balance in superhero games, is just basically say, screw it. Well, there are going to be circumstances that you, as a game master, have an engineer to challenge certain people, and then there's going uh, certain members of the team, and then there's going to be other encounters where the others are going to shine. Yeah, I was about to say that that brings me full circle to like the DM's responsibility here is that if you do not have a scenario where you can nerf a power effectively, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, as an overall game ruling, like you just don't have that power. 
Uh, that would be a nerfing. Now, game challenge. Uh, you, A, want to rotate the challenges to reflect your different players' strengths and weaknesses so that they all get a time to shine. Uh, that's being a good entertainer, you know, mm -hmm. being a good DM. You, you want everybody to have that moment at some point in some game where, like, well, without your power, we're not going to do this. You know, this is not going to happen. We're not going to make this uh, problem go away. And it falls upon you. Like, only you can get through that doorway, uh, through that minute hole. Yeah, you have a halfling in basic D&D. Create an area only a halfling can get into. Yeah, uh, short of a potion of diminution or a shrink spell, you know, nobody can get past this. And, oh, lo and behold, you've got a character with you who can totally do this. That gives them that moment of value. Uh, and, by way, for the superhero reference, uh, everybody should have their one weakness. The thing that, like, they do not do well. Like, you know, uh, being... Uh, uh, the Green Lantern's ring, useless against that which is yellow. Uh that's where, rather than nerfing their ability, you make sure at the onset of a campaign that they have a suitable weakness. For the lower-powered characters, they have no weaknesses because, well, inherently they kind of are, but there is no circumstance that they cannot be relevant. Yeah, if uh, their power is really just smarts and, you know, there's no reason to hit them with kryptonite, you know, oh, iron... Uh, burns your flesh and kills you, you know. Well, Batman, you know, is an archetype. Is the, you know, he's a very uh, cagey, cunning, and also a, a tactician. Never striking without having a plan. Yeah, that would be, you know, the, the smart guy. Uh, <laughs> ooh, yeah, certainly as tough as a mortal man can be, but still just a human being. Uh, so there's no reason to nerf that. Uh, now, obviously, if they ask for something like, uh, you know, I want the miraculous power of the wish. Okay, hmm. now the nerf comes back into play. <laughs> or, you know, more than a nerf, DM adjudication. The proper adjudication of spells and things like that helps a lot. But man, you know, when you get into the higher stuff, it is meant to break the game. And that's why it's so rare. It so, is. It's meant to be, you know, really... Tough. Because of the limited nature, and we were talking about fantasy games primarily, we didn't get to talk much about science fiction, but there is some other stuff here that uh, can apply to that as well. When you have characters in heavy combat gear and suits and large heavy weapons that just annihilate anybody who stands against them and, and they are a force unto themselves, well, in science fiction there is what I like to call the Darth Vader rule. <laughs> there is always somebody bigger, badder, and meaner than you are out there. And sometimes you have yet to meet them, but boy, when you do. Or, uh, just as a reference, um, <clears throat> now, who here has seen Starship Troopers? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you may all be incredibly well-armed and well-armored badasses, but there's thousands of them. <laughs> Inexhaustible them, amounts. Yeah, make them run out of ammo. Make them back away. Make them, you know, like, oh, well, we took a lot of them out. Uh, but give them a bolt hole to retreat to. If you, yep. Use time limit. You know, assign a mission that you have a certain amount of time. Two hours to get the governor, the imperial governor of the planet off before the Tyranids consume the entire world. Yeah, escape from New York style. You know, yep. you got two uh, hours. You get it done. 
get in there, get this person, get out. So it's not about your relative strength. It's about how quickly you can overcome obstacles, uh, you know, deal with obstructions and, you know, achieve your principal goal uh, while <laughs> uh, meeting the parameters of the mission. And you can build challenges that keep that game balance alive uh, if you do want to keep OP. If people have earned it and you don't want to take it away, eh, there's ways to deal with that. Yeah, and sometimes it's having to up your game and change it. But of course, the best thing is, is always a close reading of the rules, understanding of them, and also never let players bigfoot you. Don't let a barracks room lawyer dictate to you how you should run your game. Yeah, at whomever you are, wherever you are, if you're wearing the DM hat, uh, the buck stops there. Uh, that should be like literally game one. Like, let's establish something here. If I nerf something, it's going to be for a reason. Uh, I don't want to argue about it a lot. You can make your case, and I'll hear it. But when I've made that call, and it's over, I expect it to stay over. Yeah, over. and most uh, good players, players worth having and uh, being around for a long time, will understand that. Yeah, they'll get that, like, you're on the spot to, you know, adjudicate on the fly and manage this series of events uh, and be descriptive about it. And that it's no picnic. Uh, it is a chore. I, I gotta say... It's a rewarding chore, which yeah. is why so many people do it with no reward for it at all, and love it. I mean, they speak of it with passion, and I mean, that would be us. You know, we, we talk about DMing uh, like it's the second coming, and there's a reason for that. It is just so much fun, it is so uh, demanding, and it really pulls the best out of your creativity. Uh, it's nothing I've ever been sorry about. And those game balance issues aside... Uh, it was totally worth the price of entry. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for us. Uh, oh, yeah. We're, we didn't quite we're cover every aspect, and I'm sure that uh, many of our listeners <laughs> out there, all ten of you, uh, will, of course, have other thoughts about this. So we uh, eagerly await you with bated breath to tell us uh, some oh, other yeah. ideas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, bait breath. Bait you breath. Give earthworm and, uh, you know, some chum. And earthworm and uh, crickets. Yeah. Yeah, mm. that, that's my, my bait breath. All right. Well, that brings us to the end. And, of course, uh, you probably are begging for the end at this point. We've uh, well talked ourselves into a large circle. We hope you learned some things. And, of course, you uh, give you some food for thought. And uh, if you want to share those, of course, you can get a hold of us on our Facebook page, The Dice Are Screaming, as well as you can get a hold of us on Twitter directly. You just send us a direct message, a DM, and uh, me at Death Hand Gaming and... Oh, myself at Magi Vox. Right. Let us know about what you think there. As well as you can download the Anchor app and uh, leave a message and we'll put you on the show and uh, talk about what you think is part of the game balance. But I think that'll do it for us. So until next time. May the dice, dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya. <laughs>